Wasn't that outstanding? I'm grateful for our high school ministry team putting on this event. Uh, every Friday this October, there will be one more left. This is from 9 to midnight, which if you're anything like me, that is way past your bedtime. Um, but it is an incredible event. Got to go this last Friday, see the high school team at work, the incredible job they do, and so many uh, of the volunteers of the team members here at Calvary. You know, since we began this event back in 2015, when the high school room and facility opened, um, I think an estimate, a conservative estimate of how many students have rolled through this event is about 10 to 15,000 high school students in our area impacted by this event. That's an incredible, incredible reach. And, and, and for me, one of the great blessings that you just heard is of those 10 to 15,000 high school students, not one of them has ever paid to be a part of this event. And that is because of the generous folks right here at Calvary who help build that high school ministry facility, who give weekly to our offering so that we can be a place for high school students to come and have a good, healthy, safe, fun time. But more importantly, to encounter the love of Christ, to be invited back uh, and to encounter Jesus's forgiveness. So, so to those of you who give regularly, I wanna say thank you to you. And for all of us, I want to call us to give to our weekly offering um, this week here at Calvary. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says that each of you should give um, what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so as we invite you to the offering this week, uh, this is not out of guilt or control or, or shame or obligation, but rather out of a joyful heart that says, I get to give in such a way that blesses that many high school students. I'm all in on that. So I want to encourage you to give, whether it's online or here on our campus at the kiosk. You can give on the QR code on your seat or through our app. There are many different ways to give, but we hope you would do so out of a response to who God is and how good he's been to you. And you know, our offering this week will really drive us toward the final value of the six core values we've been talking through this, uh, this fall here at Calvary. We've talked about these six core values, these six sentences or phrases that will help shape how we as a church follow Jesus as we head toward the year 2030 and beyond. We've talked about the six core values of it's all about Jesus. We talked about God's people delighting in God's word. A few weeks back, we talked about life change happens in relationship. Talked about found people, find people, save people, serve people. And this week, we'll get to the final core value that grateful people are giving people. The grateful people are giving people. That as we have gratitude for who God is and what he's done and given us in our lives, we turn around out of that gratitude and we give toward others. We give of our time, our, our, our resources, our talent. We give it our time and our talent, but then finally we give out of our treasure. And this morning... I wanna to talk to you about your treasure, I wanna to talk to you about your money, and I wanna to talk to you about giving your money toward the work of God in this church and all around the world as we talk about this value that grateful people are giving people. Now here's what's not lost on me. When a pastor gets up on stage on a Sunday morning and says this morning's sermon is about giving, about tithing, about offering to the church, there are a great many of you that wish you had stayed home to watch some Sunday morning football this morning. It's not lost on me that the temperature goes up in the room. There is a sort of awkwardness around money when it comes to church. And yet here's what we're convinced of as a leadership here at Calvary. That we talk about money because for Jesus, money was not some side issue. It was not some afterthought. It was not some sort of optional thing when it came to following him. Jesus taught about money and he instructed us about money because Jesus understood the place that money, whether you recognize it or not, has in your heart and in mine. 
I love what he says. I've been so moved by what he says in the Sermon on the Mount about money. He says this sentence in Matthew 6, 24. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And I've always found it fascinating that he doesn't say you cannot serve both God and Satan. That would be an obvious one. He doesn't say you cannot serve both God and sin. That would make sense to me. He doesn't even say you cannot serve both God and your own agenda. No, what he sets up as the primary and principal competitor to your heart when it comes to your faithfulness to God in this world is your money. See, Jesus has this insight that your money is not some sort of afterthought. It's not some sort of other thing you can consider when you have time. It's right at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And what might be easier for a church not to talk about money, to avoid the issue, or to kind of dance around it or not address it, address it directly. We believe as a church we must do so if we're going to accomplish our mission here to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. In fact, I'm convinced the following is true, that a church that will not talk about money is a church that cannot make disciples of Jesus. And because our mission here our vision as a church is that we would be a people who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We're going to talk about money this morning. We're going to talk about your money and mine. We're going to talk about the money that God has given to us. And we're going to talk about how God has called us to be generous with that money as we follow after him. And as we think about what it means to be a grateful people who are giving people. I love what our elders, our leadership put together as we were thinking through our 2030 vision. The following you'll find uh, as a statement about this statement uh, that grateful people are giving people here uh, in our 2030 Vision magazine. Here's what it says. It said, we see a church filled with people who give regularly, proportionately, generously, and cheerfully to the work of the Lord through our church. Rooted in the biblical principle of grace giving, we give out of response to what the Lord Jesus has given, uh, given to us through his death and resurrection. We believe that sacrificial giving is the mark of a mature disciple of Jesus who gave everything for us. We consider the words of Paul, who said to the Corinthian church, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, complete earnestness and love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel at this grace of giving. Calvary, our desire as we go toward 2030 is that you would excel in every area of your faith, that you would excel in worship and your love for the Lord and your affection for the things above, that you would excel in your Bible knowledge and affection and your love for God's word, that you would excel in your love for one another and your love for the lost and your love to serve. And our desire as a church leadership is that we would excel in this grace of giving, that we would become a giving people, a generous people who are driven by the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to look at a story in the life of Jesus that kind of illustrates this, this value perfectly for us this morning. If you have a Bible and want to turn to Luke chapter 8, that's where we'll begin. Luke chapter 8 this morning as we look at this final core value in our series, Calvary's Core. Here's how it begins. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. The words say, after this. Now to give you the context, the this it's referring to is a moment where Jesus is anointed with perfume by a woman who is sinful, by a woman who has fallen short. And yet rather than turning her away, Jesus kind of draws her in and says, she is welcome to do this. It's this beautiful and wonderful moment of generosity for this woman. And then here in Luke 8, 1, it says this, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So here's the ministry of Jesus for you in a nutshell. The ministry of Jesus is a teaching ministry. Jesus comes in this world to teach <clears throat> and to proclaim the kingdom of God. He goes from town to town and village to village and city to city, proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
His miracles and his healings are meant to attest to his teaching and the validity of its truth. And the principal message of Jesus' teaching ministry, you'll see here on the screen, it is that he is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And here's the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom is that the king has come to rescue and rule his people. The king has come to rescue and rule his people. This is the good news that Jesus came to proclaim. He's come to rescue us. And we need to make it abundantly clear that he has come to rescue us from one thing and one thing alone, and that is the consequences of our sin. That the great story of the scriptures is that God creates us, he delights in us, he calls us his own, and yet we look at God and say, forget you, God, I'm going to go do my own thing with my life. We turn our back on God, we rebel against him, and we go in our own direction. And Jesus comes into the world to rescue us from the consequences of our sin, the separation from God that that entails. The whole story of Jesus is that he came into the world to die on the cross, rise from the dead for our salvation, that we might be reconciled to God, forgiven, and made a child of God forevermore. Jesus comes into the world to rescue us from our sins. Before we loved him, before we wanted him, God sends Jesus after us. But the good news of the kingdom is also that Jesus the king comes to rule his people. And it's good news that Jesus wants to rule you. It's good news that Jesus is in charge of your life. And you know why it's good news that Jesus is in charge of your life? Because Jesus created your life. He designed your life. It's like saying that the artist knows, it's good news that the artist has something to say because they know about the painting. The engineer knows something about the machine. The architect knows something about the building. And the creator God knows something about the creation and the life we're called to live. It's good news that Jesus has something to say about your life how you think, how you talk, how you act, and how you use the money that he has given you. It is good news that Jesus tells us how to live because Jesus is the one who created and designed us in the first place. See, we want to begin here this morning with this message of the good news of the kingdom of God because I'm convinced of this. When we talk about giving and generosity this morning, giving begins with grasping the good news of Jesus. If we want to give in the way Jesus has called us to give, it begins with grasping this good news. See, far too many people, maybe even some of us here this morning, think that we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And the way we earn our way back is through good works. And so that maybe if I give a little more to the church, God will forgive me. Maybe if I write a big enough check, my sins will be cleared. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there is no check big enough that you could write that God would clear your sins. The only one powerful enough to write that check is Jesus. He wrote it on the cross, and in his resurrection, that check cashed. You are saved and rescued, not on anything you've done, but on Christ and Christ alone. Our giving is rooted in that reality. God forgives. God loves. God sees you. You do not give to earn God's love. You give out of response to the love of God that is already upon you and cannot be taken off of you. That is what we root our giving in here at Calvary. We root it in the overwhelming love of God in Christ. It goes on this way in verse 1. It says the 12 were with him. That's Jesus and his 12 disciples, the 12 men who followed after him. It says, And some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. So you'll notice two groups here with Jesus. You have the 12 men, these disciples following him, and then you've got a group of women. We see three names here. We see Mary and Joanna and Susanna, and then it says many other women. Now, we don't know much about these women, but what we do know 
is what we're told here in this text. You'll see it underlined on the screen. What we see here is that these were women who were cured of diseases or of evil spirits that were inside of them. Like in other words, these were women who decided to follow Jesus because they had encountered the powerful, transforming, healing work of God through Christ. This is why they decided to follow Jesus. It's not that they were intellectually talked into believing Jesus was the Son of God. It's not that someone presented the Kalam cosmological argument to them and because of that they decided to become Christians. It's because they had no hope. There was no one who could cure their disease, no one who could lift the evil spirit off of them. And then Jesus came along and changed everything. And because of the presence and the mercy and the kindness and the grace of God through Jesus Christ, their whole life was changed. And because of that, they followed after Jesus. You gotta imagine them telling their story. I was stuck, no one could help me, but Jesus could. I was sick, no one could make me feel better, but Jesus did. The, the spiritual warfare I was going through was overwhelming, but Jesus was the only one who could heal me. They wouldn't have sung this song, but it wasn't there yet. But you could almost imagine them singing a song very similar to this hymn, and you've sung many times. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Can you hear that spirit in this hymn too? That I was a mess, I had nothing, I was far from God, I had fallen short, I was not doing it on my own, but God came and he rescued me. God came and he made things right. God came and he forgave my sin. See, this hymn, uh, along with the lifestyle these women are leading, is rooted in gratitude. It's a gratitude hymn for who God is and what he's done on our behalf. And what we need to do is follow the example of these women. We need to learn from and be instructed from the life of these women. Uh, because what's true of these women was true for us. Like I need us to know this morning that all true spiritual growth is rooted in gratitude. It's rooted in gratitude. That every part of your spiritual life will only grow if it is rooted and built upon a grateful heart. So for example, you could come in on a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. And you could be the loudest singer in the room. Your hands could be in the air, you could be belting out all the songs, but if you're singing just to impress everyone around you, and not because you're grateful for who God is, you might be singing, but you're not growing in worship. You could be the person who prays more than anyone else in this church. You spend hours and hours in your week on your face before God, but if you think you can pray in such a way that controls and manipulates God by your many words, you might be saying things, but you're not growing in prayer. See, growth, spiritually, is rooted in gratitude. It is rooted in a response and a recognition to what God has already done. And the same goes for our giving here at Calvary. Again, our interest isn't who can write the biggest check and who can be the biggest giver and who can do this as if you're gonna impress God or impress everyone else or impress the church. No, the goal is that we give and grow in this grace of giving out of a response, a gratitude for what God has already done. That's why here at Calvary we teach something called grace giving. Grace giving is this, we don't give out of obligation or rules, but out of a response to the grace of God. We look to the cross, we look to what Jesus has done, we look to all that God has given us in this life, and we turn around out of gratitude and we give to others. That's grace giving. Now often in the Bible and in other teachings, you'll hear the tithe be brought up. The tithe, that word tithe in the Bible literally just means tenth. It's the idea that you take a tenth of your income and give it to the work of the Lord. If you make $30,000 a year, you give 3,000. If you make 100,000, you give 10. That's what the tithe is. We see it in the Old Testament. We see Jesus affirm it in the Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament. 
And while the tithe is this wonderful thing here at Calvary, we want to teach that in the New Testament, the principal driver of our giving is not a rule, it's not a percentage, it's not an obligation we have to hit. It is a response to the grace and the mercy of God. Like giving 10% is a wonderful thing. I think that's a wonderful thing to help you grow into giving. But it is not the goal. It is not the aim. The aim is a generous heart that is cultivated out of gratitude for who God is and what he's done. I love the way Pastor Sean puts it from time to time. He'll come up on the stage with a bicycle and he'll have training wheels on it. And he'll ride the bicycle with the training wheels. And he says the tithe is like the training wheels to our giving. It helps us get our balance. It helps us get moving in generosity. But it's not the goal. Just like the goal is to ditch the training wheels and enjoy riding the bike, the goal is that you're not stuck on a percentage or a rule or an obligation. The goal is that you get to a place where you love and enjoy, where it actually brings you happiness to be able to give. That's the goal. That's the aim when it comes to grace giving. Again, these are women here in this story who are giving, not, or who are giving, who are following Jesus, who are doing all that they're doing out of a gratitude for who God is and what he's done I love the way Randy Alcorn puts it in The Treasure Principle. He says, it, and that's our giving, doesn't come out of our altruism or philanthropy. It's not because we're trying to good, good people or earn God's love. He says it comes out of the transforming work of Christ in us. This grace is the action. Our, our giving is the reaction. We give because he first gave to us. That's the invitation. That's what these women are modeling for us. And I want you to see how the story continues in verse 3. It says, these women were helping support them out of their own means. Now, now, this verse actually answers a question that many Christians just never think to actually ask. I certainly didn't for many years. And the question is simply this, like, how in the world was the ministry of Jesus funded? Like, here's these men following Jesus, and they're going from town to town, village to village, Surely from time to time they're going to need food or shelter. Surely from time to time they're going to need some new clothes or some kind of resources. How did they get the money? And your initial assumption, if you didn't read this verse, might be that Jesus is just kind of walking around, empty pockets, but he reaches his hand in and goes, here's a 20, you know? Like, that's how it works. But that's not actually how the story goes. Jesus didn't just generate the money out of nowhere. Here's what it tells us, that Jesus' ministry was funded by a group of his women followers. That is how the ministry of Jesus happened. The ministry of Jesus that changed the entire world happened because these women followers of Jesus who had been so moved and transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus out of gratitude for what he had done gave to the work and ministry of Jesus so that he could accomplish his purpose in this world. Now again, that's maybe not how you thought it went, but that's exactly how it went. It was grateful people who were giving people that enabled Jesus to do his ministry. Now, here's what we know. Jesus didn't have to make it this way. God could have done it another way. I joked about Jesus reaching into his pocket and pulling out a 20, but he easily could have done so. Like there's these verses all over the scriptures. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Paraphrase, God already owns everything in the world. He already owns everything in your house and everything in your wallet and everything in this church. He owns all of us. It's all his. Or I love this out of Psalm 50. God says, I have no need for a bull from your stall or goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. God, in other words, goes, I don't need your money. I can do everything I want without your money and without your funding. 
The God of the universe is not short on cash. He's not looking around going, can anyone help me out here? God is not looking for help. He needs nothing from us. And yet, there's a question this morning. And the question drives us to the heart of the core value that we're going to be talking about this morning. And that's this simple question. If God doesn't need our money, why does he ask for it? If God can accomplish everything he wants to do in this world without a dime from you and me or anyone else, why does he ask for it? And again, I think the answer to this question I want to share with you is going to help us understand the heart of this core value here at Calvary and what God is trying to do through us as he shapes us in our discipleship to be more like Jesus. Why does God ask for our money if he doesn't need us? I think the answer is this, that God asks for our money to grow our maturity. God asks for our money to grow our maturity. In other words, God's greatest goal is not to fundraise because he doesn't need our money. God's greatest goal is to mature you into a mature disciple of Jesus, to form and shape and conform you into the image and the likeness of Christ. And one of the tools he is going to use to do that in your life and in mine is our money, the possessions he's given to us. And I think we all intuitively understand the connection between money and maturity. Let me put it this way for you. So um, we're, we're here in late October, which basically means next month is November and Christmas is like a sneeze away. We all understand that, right? And the reason I know this is because like two weeks ago, Amazon.com sent me their catalog that I could show my children for all the presents that they might want. So we hand it to them, and I said, all right, you get a pink marker, and you get a blue marker. Just go circle the gifts you might want. And so they go ahead and do this, and now I have 276 gifts that my children would like for Christmas. So kids are looking forward to Christmas. They're thinking about Christmas. They got their mind on Christmas. And my kids love it. They love the decorations and the music. They love what goes on here at church. They love the songs. They love Christmas Eve. They love all of it. But they're like most kids. This should not surprise you. They are most excited for Christmas morning and the presents they get to open. Now in my house, they're gonna open presents, and that's a great thing, and they're not gonna be made to feel bad about that. Why? Because they're six, three, and one years old. They're children, and they should be excited about presents. Now, let me think this, just imagine this world. Imagine as Christmas starts to get closer, I start to get excited about presents. And I start to tell you I'm so excited for Christmas morning. Can't wait to see what everyone got me. We're getting through the Christmas season. Everyone says, you looking forward to it? I say, yeah, I just can't wait to see what's under the tree for me. I'm so excited about this. It's Christmas morning. It's the moment. We let the kids come downstairs and they go, presents, and they run toward the tree. And I go, wait, me first. And I check my six-year-old into the wall. And I run and I say, stay away, kids. I got to open mine first. Now, I told you for my six, three, and one-year-old child, it is totally appropriate for them to be most excited about presents. For a 35-year-old dad of three children, it is probably, like, you don't even have to be told this. You know that something would be off. You couldn't even necessarily put it into words, but if you saw a 35-year-old dad of three children hip-checking his children into the wall in order to open presents first, you would say, I don't know what went wrong, and I don't know what else is going on there, but somewhere that man failed to mature. Because you and I understand intuitively that something about money, something about possessions, when we become more interested in giving than what we get. As a 35-year-old man, a dad of three kids, I should be more interested in what I'm giving on Christmas morning than what I'm getting. And we all understand that that is connected to maturity. See, God is going to use our money as a tool to grow us up in Christ to grow us up, to mature us, to make us more like Jesus. Why does God ask for our money if he doesn't need it? Because God uses our money to grow our maturity. And this morning, 
what I want to give you is one verse for us to consider together this morning as we think about the mature givers, the mature disciples that God is calling us to be. This verse is the one I shared earlier in the service as I called for offering, but I want to share it with you and give you some reflections on it this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, here's what it says. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I'm going to make a number of observations here, but the first observation I want to make here are the first words on the screen that are underlined here. It's this, that each of you should give. Each of you should give. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or you're just kind of exploring church, you're not sure what to make of God, maybe you're just kind of re-exploring this after a long time, but you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I want you to know you're off the hook on this one. I really mean that. This is written toward a Christian people in a Christian church. And so if that's you, our biggest interest is not that you would give money to anything. It's that you would figure out what you believe about Jesus, the Son of God. That is our ultimate interest for you if you are checking this out, if you're not a Christian this morning. But if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you're following after him, this is a command to you. Not that each of you should consider giving or each of you might think about giving or that giving would be a nice ideal, but that each of you should give. That this is something each and every one of us are called and commanded by the Lord God to do. That just as the Lord calls us to pray, just as the Lord calls us to consider his word, to serve one another, to share the gospel, just as the Lord considers us or calls us to walk in holiness, he says each of you should give. And this morning I want to talk about the four ways that each of us should give, four ways each of us are called to give. Number one, we're called to give regularly, not randomly. Regularly, not randomly. I think for far too many Christians, we kind of give randomly. And so it kind of means like if you're at church and you happen to have a few bucks, you throw it in. Or it's toward the end of the month and you think you're going to make it on everything else, so you kind of give the leftovers to God. Rather than your first and your best, you give them the last and the leftovers. Or some Christians give uh, what we would maybe affectionately or not so affectionately call like the Christian church tip. And so what happens is you come into a church service and you hear the worship set up front with the choir and it was so wonderful. So you're like, I'll throw a little more in this week. But then my sermon is kind of below par and so you're like, I'm going to withhold a little this week. It's kind of tipping based on service. How did it go this week? Was it really good? Was it really bad? And so you'll give a little bit. But here's how we're called to give. We're called to give regularly, not randomly. We're not called to give based on how we feel or what we happen to think in a moment or how we assess a church service. We're called to give regularly. I love what Paul says in the same uh, Corinthian church. He says this in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, on the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. On the first day of the week. Like in other words, when you get paid. The first day of the week, the first day of the month, the first day of the year, you have a plan. You set it aside. It's you looking at your budget, or if you're married, you looking with your spouse at your budget and deciding this is what we're going to give. And we as Christians can have arguments about how much we're supposed to give or not. My biggest concern, though, is that you're intentional about it and that you're doing it on purpose. See, for many Christians, if I ask, how much are you trying to give away in 2023, there's not a really good answer because there wasn't a plan. It's kind of random. It's kind of all over the place. But what we're called to do is to be intentional about our giving. We're called to specifically put steps into place in our budget here on the first day of the week. I'm going to set aside this amount because I'm going to give my first and best to the Lord. Because here's what I've learned, and you know this is true as well. We do not drift into generosity. We do not drift into it. 
No one accidentally wakes up one day and goes, wow, I have given away so much money. That never happens. It is always something we have to intentionally do. Imagine this. Imagine you're here at your home in the Caneo Valley, and you decide you're going to drive down to Los Angeles International Airport. So you get in your car, and you're driving down the 101 freeway, and then you go through the worst place on earth, which is the 101-405 interchange, uh, and you roll through 101-405. You're in the far left lane. You're chatting with your family. Everything's going well, and then you realize suddenly, and you're on the 405, that you need to get six lanes over to exit for the airport. Now, here's what we all know. When you need to get six lanes over on the 405, that is not a casual moment. At least two things will happen. The first is if you're listening to music, podcast, audiobook, you will turn that off so you can focus. You will tell everyone in the car to be absolutely silent. And then you will begin to make your moves six lanes across the 405 freeway. You will do so intentionally, at times aggressively. You will take deliberate moves to get yourself from the far left lane over to the far right lane. Because here's what everyone here knows. If you are driving on the far left side of the 405 freeway going south toward the airport, and you do not intentionally, even aggressively, and very forcefully move yourself toward the airport, you will go with the flow of traffic, and you will end up in Long Beach, right? <laughs> that is what will happen to you. Because why? If you're not intentional, you'll just go with the flow of traffic. The same is true with giving and generosity. If you are not intentionally thinking, how can I set aside a little money? How can we budget a little here? How can we cut back here and do this here? How, how can we be intentional about giving? If you do not do that, you will end up going with the flow of traffic of our culture. And the flow of traffic in our culture leads you towards spend all the money on you, your family, your lifestyle, your comfort. It'll just turn into kind of what everyone else does, which is give away very little and spend most of it on yourself. Nobody drifts into generosity. We do it on purpose. We do it intentionally. We take steps. We have discussions. We make a plan. We are called to give regularly, not randomly. Number two, we're called to give proportionately, not equally. Proportionately, not equally. Sometimes people look at a church and go, okay, what's the budget of the church? How many people are at the church? And they try to do like a basic arithmetic, a basic division problem. And I need you to know in the history of church, that has never, ever, 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 ever actually worked. It's not how it goes. And it's actually not how God intended it to go. The idea isn't we'll all chip in a certain amount and then just call it a day. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, on the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. In other words, what God expects is that certain people are gonna give more and certain people are gonna give less and no one should feel guilty or proud about that. We are called to give proportionately. If we make more, we're called to give more. If we make less, we give less. That's the invitation for us. All like I want you to imagine I bring two people up on stage and I turn to the person on my right and I hand them $100 in cash out of my wallet. And I say, do whatever you want with $100 cash. Seriously, whatever you want to do with it, but just take 10 bucks and give it away to something, someone, somewhere. Be generous. Then I turn to the person on my left and I go, here's $1,000 cash. Now, you do whatever you want to do with $1,000 cash, but please just take $100 cash and give it away to someone. Like, just give it away to someone. Be generous with that. Now, I want you to imagine the person on my left looks at me and goes, are you kidding? He only has to give away $10. I have to give away $100? And all of you here would look at that person and go, are you crazy? You are given $1,000. He was only given $10. So you don't get to complain about giving away more. He's given you more, so more is expected out of you. And that's exactly what Jesus has to say to us. 
In Luke chapter 12, Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself says this. He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Notice Jesus doesn't say much will be requested or suggested. He says much will be demanded. And he says, from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. You know what God invites us to do? To give proportionately. Has God given you a lot? Give a lot. Has God given you just a little? Give just a little. Give in proportion to what the Lord has given you. That's the call of God on your life. Four ways we're called to give. Number one, we're called to give regularly, not randomly. We're called to give proportionately, not equally. Number three, we're called to give generously, not cautiously. We're called to give generously. And the great enemy to us giving generally, generously is our caution. It is our fear. It's our concern. It's this little question that rumbles around on the inside of us every time the question of giving toward anything comes up. It's a question that maybe you've never put into words, but I think you have probably felt. And that question goes a little something like this. I want to give, but what if I give away too much? What if I give away too much? What if I give away too much and I actually need it? What if I make this commitment, but I can't actually meet it? What if I give away money and then some emergency happens with my car or with my work and with my life? What if I give away too much? Uh, for my wife and I, when we discuss and pray over what we're going to give to various things, to our church, to missions, to different people who ask, um, she has been blessed with far more generosity than me. God has just built that spirit in her. And so sometimes she'll throw out a number. I'll go, excuse you? What? And that's the fear. Like, what if it's too much? What if we give that much and then this, we're in trouble? What if that happens? And I want to just identify that fear because I think it's really interesting that I experience that fear from time to time. But when a number is thrown out, and I go, how could I possibly do that? But Jesus identifies a different kind of fear. And this is what's very interesting to me. Jesus says there is a kind of fear, a kind of question that we should actually have in the bottom of our heart when it comes to generosity. But he gives us a very different one. He says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus is saying, you need to watch out. You actually need to be concerned. There should actually be a question inside of you of whether or not you're greedy. And if the basic impulse you have is, I could never be greedy. I'm just not a greedy person. Jesus says, watch out. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. Every one of us should have a little thing inside of us that says, it's possible that I'm greedy. It's possible I'm more selfish than I think. It's possible I'm more into me and my comfort and my lifestyle than I think. See, my great fear when my wife throws out that number is, oh my gosh, what if that's too much? But what Jesus says is there should also be this fear in me. There should be a fear of what if I'm actually greedy and don't even realize it? What if I'm not giving enough? Like, what if I'm actually selfish, but I've been deceived into thinking I'm not selfish, I'm just thoughtful or frugal or wise with my money. See, this challenges me when Jesus says this. He says, watch out, beware. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, which suggests there's like a lot of different kinds of greed playing in your life and vying for your heart at all different kinds. And my invitation for all of us is the words of Jesus, to watch out and to be aware of this as we give generously. Again, four ways we're called to give. We're called to give regularly, not randomly, proportionally, not equally, generously, not cautiously, and we're called to give cheerfully, not obligatorily. That's why this text says we don't give under compulsion. We don't give out of guilt. We don't give out of shame. And we certainly don't give out of trying to check a box or do our duty or hit our obligation. Because here's what you and I, again, intuitively understand. We understand that giving and the heart we have toward giving affects how the person receiving the gifts receives it. Like what's happening inside of me 
impacts the person who is receiving the gift. I'll put it to you this way. My wife's birthday is next week. And I want you to imagine I go out and I get my wife a very special gift. Very thoughtful, surprised her. She didn't see it coming. I, I hand her the box. She opens up the box. She looks at it on her birthday. And she just smiles so big. And she looks at me and says, I can't believe you got this for me. Thank you so much. This is the most thoughtful gift. I love it. And I want you to imagine my response to her is, I'm so glad you love it. It makes me so happy to see you happy. Now, there is not a single person in this room who thinks my wife would look back at me saying that and go, you are so selfish. This is all about your happiness, huh? Oh, you're happy that I'm happy. So this was really about you being happy. No wife would respond in that way, right? Because my happiness doesn't rob from it. It adds to it. The fact that I'm delighted to give her this gift actually makes the gift more special to her. Because imagine the opposite reaction. Same gift, I hand it to her, she opens it up. Oh, Brian, it's so wonderful. Thank you for getting this. I'm so happy. And my response to her being happy is to put up my hand and to say, say no more. It was my obligation as a husband and I am only doing my duty. Now you're feeling for me right now because here's what you know, that my indifference toward this gift, I'm just doing my duty, meeting my obligation, does not make her feel more loved, it makes her feel less loved. My enthusiasm toward the gift does not take away from the gift, it adds to it, and my indifference toward the gift does not add to the gift, it takes away from it. The same is true with our giving. There is a way of giving to the Lord where we check the box and we did the thing, and yes, Lord, I did it, and there is a heartless sort of indifference toward giving. And here's what it does. This does not honor the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. Well, let me bring you back to that verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, each of you should give in your heart what you've decided, uh, not under compulsion or reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, what we're most interested in here is what God loves, what God wants, what blesses God's heart. And what blesses God's heart is not that we would just give out of some obligation or give because we're supposed to or give just to kind of get that gnawing guilt off our back. What God is after is a cheerful giver who loves to give because they love God. So here's the question I've been asking all weekend. And the question I want to ask to everyone in this room, everyone listening online. Last week I asked you a simple question and the question was around the save people, serve people theme. I asked, is God pleased with the ways I'm currently serving? Is he pleased with the way I'm using my gifts and my talents and my time? And I said, you need to wrestle before the Lord on this one, not before me. You don't owe me an answer. It's not, are you pleased? It's not, is the church pleased, but is God pleased? I want to ask the same question of you this morning around this morning's theme. Is God pleased with the way I'm currently giving? Is God pleased with it? Am I giving regularly and proportionately and generously and cheerfully? Does God look upon that and smile? And here's what I know the answer is for so many of you. The answer for many of you is yes. That God looks upon you and you're giving, whether it's a lot in your eyes or just a little, and he goes, you know what? This person is giving regularly, cheerfully, proportionately, joyfully, is giving generously, and God smiles upon that. The point of this morning's sermon is not just kind of twist everyone's arm and everyone feels a little bad or anything, nothing like that. If that's you this morning, between you and the Lord, again, it's not between you and me, it's not between anyone around you, it's not just between yourself and how you feel, it's between you and the Lord. And the answer to that question is I feel great. I believe the Lord smiles upon it. I know God is pleased with how I'm giving. I'm walking in faithfulness. Praise God for that and thank you. Thank you for modeling that for the rest of us for modeling faithfulness to Jesus. But if your answer to this question is, you know what, I'm not sure, 
Or maybe even your answer to that question is, I know God is not pleased with the way I'm giving. I'm not giving regularly. It's kind of randomly. It's just a little bit. I know I should be generous. I've been afraid. I've been worried. Maybe you're giving, but it is obligatory. It is just kind of checking a box. You've lost all joy in giving. What I want to give you this morning is an invitation, an invitation towards some next steps. I want to give you four next steps toward giving. Four next steps you can take if your conclusion is, I don't believe God is pleased with my giving this morning. I don't believe God is pleased with how I'm giving. Number one, let me just simply say this. Start with prayer. Start with prayer. Don't start with guilt. Don't start with shame. Don't start with, I'll give something to make this kind of icky feeling go away. No, you don't need to make the icky feeling go away. You don't need to deal with this. God has already dealt with whatever's going on on the cross and in Jesus' resurrection. That's how it's paid for. Always go back to the gospel. But what we remember is we begin with prayer. And we simply ask this question before the Lord, what would you have me give? If you're married, hold hands with your spouse. Ask the Lord, God, what would you have us give? God, would you make us a generous people? Maybe you are giving, but your just heart is kind of callous and cold to it. Lord, would you make me a cheerful giver? Maybe you're giving a little bit and you say, Lord, would you make me a generous giver? Maybe you would just pray, Lord, I just feel all twisted up about giving because of some church hurt in the past or something that's happened. God, would you heal my heart so I can be a giver? You start with prayer. Number two, you start now. You start right now. The great myth we tell ourselves when it comes to giving is the myth that we will start giving once blank happens. And here's what you need to know. Once you start the game of I will start being generous once blank, that game never ends. I will start giving once I'm out of school. I will start giving once I'm out of graduate school. I will start giving once my salary is this. No, once my salary is that, I will start giving. I will start giving once the house is paid for. I will start giving once the business is on its feet. I will start giving once the children are born or through school or through college. I will start giving when the wedding is over. And, and just, you could go on and on forever. And here's what we have to do. At some point we have to go if giving is like spiritual disciplines of prayer and of Bible reading, of community and service. The goal is not to obey someday, it's to obey right now. We start right now. You go, well, how does my little bit start right now? Because when we start right now, as God grows and as God adds to our life and as God blesses us further, it builds that muscle of giving into our life. I love what John D. Rockefeller says. He says, I never would have been able to tithe on the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed on my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. That's the invitation. Start now. Don't start someday. Don't start when you get successful. When everything's taken care of, start now. Number one, you start with prayer. Number two, start now. Number three, start small. Listen, if the Lord is calling you to start big and you have a big dream of God telling you to do something, by all means do that. But I want to encourage you, like every other spiritual discipline, it is something that is built over time. It is like a muscle you build, not just a behavior you do. So we start small. Some people get so overwhelmed by giving because they feel like I can never give this massive amount. Start small. I love how Atomic Habits author James Clear puts it. He says, a habit must be established before it's improved. And I believe the same is true for our spiritual disciplines. You need to establish giving as a pattern and a practice in your life, even if it's tiny, even if it's small, before you can improve and grow that giving. Uh, when I speak to young adults and high school students about this, I give the $1 a week challenge. I say, start giving $1 a week to the church, $52 over the course of the year. You can find $1 a week in quarters in your couch. Like, this is very doable. And I encourage them to do that. And sometimes the response is, well, what's 52 bucks a year really going to do for a church this size? 
And I go, truthfully, $52 doesn't change this church radically. It does change your heart radically. It changes who you are. Once you start to build the muscle of giving, this muscle of giving in your life, it starts to change you from the inside out. So maybe it's a dollar a week or $10 a week or $100 or $1,000 a week. Again, in proportion to your income, whatever it is, you start small and you build that into your life. You build it as a practice. You build it as a habit. You start now. You start small. And number four is this. You set a new floor. You set a new floor, which means what was once the amount you could give, the max, becomes your floor, and you build on that for the rest of your life. Because that's the goal. That's the aim. The, the aim would simply be this, that you make it a goal to give away money, more money every year for the rest of your life. That this is what my wife and I have set out to do. We, we kind of track each year, okay, how much did we give away this year to all these different things, and we try to give away more money every year for the rest of our life. Now, if three years from now, there's some big medical event or something goes wrong financially or something goes sideways, okay, we'll start over. But our goal is to become more generous and have just never found an argument for not becoming more generous every year for the rest of your life. That's the goal for us. And I hope that becomes a goal for you, that you become more generous, more invested in who God is and what he's doing. Because again, God can accomplish everything he wants to do in this world without us. He doesn't need our money, but he asks for it. And he asks for it because he is trying to grow us into the type of person who is more mature, more like Jesus, conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. Like, I want you to think about it this way. So it was Monday morning, or, or not Monday morning, one of the mornings uh, this week, and uh, my three-year-old son, Noah, runs up to me, and he says, Daddy, 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 I have a present for you. And, 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 and he gets all excited, and he hands something to me. And what he hands to me um, is this number right here. You'll see it up here on the screen. Um, and this is a really cool thing to receive from your three-year-old son. It's, it's an awesome thing to receive, and I loved it. And the moment I got it, I, I was so excited about it. I was so blessed. I was so encouraged by it. I just loved getting this little painting from him. But I need you to know a few things. Listen, I wasn't like really excited to get this because this is like a $5 million painting right here, okay? It's, it's not, okay? I wasn't really excited to get this because this is incredible brushwork and just brilliant coloring of the... He needs to work on his skills a little bit, all right? I, I wasn't excited to get this because I was staring at a wall in my house like, what are we going to do there? And then this came along and I was like, oh, perfect! I, I didn't need it. It's not because this is the most valuable thing to me. Why is it that this was valuable to me? It wasn't because it was worth a lot to me, or it wasn't because this is some big thing that's gonna be worth a lot to the world. I didn't need this, I wasn't empty without this, but this was given to me, and the reason this impacts me so deeply is because when I'm given this, I know something's happening in the heart of my son, my three-year-old son, or everything about three-year-olds is thinking about me and mine and what I get and what I receive. And in that moment that he's sitting down painting this thing, thinking, I'm going to give this to dad as a gift, his heart is starting to mature. And he is becoming the kind of person we are raising him to be. Child of God, that's exactly what God wants to do in your heart. He wants to make you the kind of person who's mature in Christ, who is conformed into the image and likeness of the Son, who becomes more and more like Jesus, who gave everything for us. Why does God want our money? Because he's trying to grow our maturity. And one of the great tools he will use is the resources he put in your hand. 
We respond out of the grace of God by being a giving and a generous people because we want to become more like Jesus, and this is the invitation for us. So Calvary, grateful people are giving people. May we never forget the gospel, and may we always respond to the grace of God with a wild kind of generosity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this morning, and thanks for your word. Thanks for the opportunity to look at the story, and thank you for these women who generously funded the ministry of Jesus out of their gratitude for him. I thank you for the men and women and children and students who give generously at Calvary, where you smile upon them and you are pleased with their giving. And God, I pray that they would experience the blessing that Jesus said exists, that it's more blessed to give than receive. I pray that they would know that today. And Father, I pray for those who have been listening who feel a sense of guilt or shame or even frustration or defensiveness. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would do away with those things. I pray that there would be no fear, no frustration, no anger, no, no, no guilt or shame bubbling up, but rather an opportunity to give. God, may you allow us to wrestle with you in our spirit and with your spirit over how you would have us be a generous people, a giving people. And above all, may we be a church that remembers and returns to the gospel of Jesus. May we be a people who talk about your son's death and resurrection regularly. And may we remember out of gratitude for him how we give to others. And so God, help us to be the most generous church we could possibly be. God, would you bless us, we pray, in our time. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.